Section 25 of Stories of the First American Animals. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Stories of the First American Animals by George Langford. Mammut, the Last of the Mastodons. Part 2. Mammut began life under what seemed to him ideal circumstances. He was welcome. Never was a newly-born calf more so. He had no end of friends and food, too. His mother always kept an ample supply of milk on hand, and he had but to go to her and get it. Surrounded by friends and with plenty to eat, he became the healthiest and happiest of youngsters. He had no real sorrows, although at times, after being subjected to a bit of maternal discipline, it appeared to him as though the whole world had turned against him. However, such periods of black gloom did not last long, once the microbe of childish contrariness was spanked out of his system. The herd now took a new lease on life, a change due entirely to the arrival of the baby mastodon, partly because of his cheerful nature, but more particularly because of the hope his advent inspired in the revival of the mastodon race. Past hardships were forgotten in the thought of brighter days to come. When Burbo trumpeted the signal to move on, all responded with light hearts. Mamut included. He took his place in the ranks, trotting close to the Queen Mother's side to avoid being trampled upon by the great feet of his elders. Near the headwaters of the Huron and Sandusky rivers, the Mastodons came upon what might have been considered as a veritable storehouse of green food suitable for teat-crowned teeth. It would have more than sufficed for any except a herd of Mastodons, but experience had taught these great animals what enormous amounts of fodder were necessary to supply their wants. A storehouse it was, and yet no more than a temporary relief. Soon the fodder would become exhausted, and they must pass on. However, they need not worry over the present. There was an abundance to satisfy their pressing needs, so they halted and proceeded to enjoy the good things while they lasted. Animals of all kinds were to be found there, and in such a well-wooded and well-watered region they might have been expected. By far the most abundant were the white-tailed deer. These timid, dainty creatures were at first much alarmed at sight of the huge, tusked giants suddenly come amongst them. They would run away with the swiftness of the wind whenever they saw a brown, hairy back or heard the noise made by a huge elephant crashing its way through the trees. However, a brief acquaintance changed all this. Not once did a mastodon offer to harm a deer. The white-tails plucked up courage. These mighty animals with horns growing from their mouths attended strictly to their own affairs, and were a peaceable lot after all. More than that, for with their appearance, the cougars, wolves, and bobcats made themselves scarce. The whitetails found the woods entirely cleared of their natural enemies. They were not long in learning that the retreat of the flesh-eaters to parts unknown was due entirely to their fear of the huge strangers. Deer and Mastodon soon lived together on the best of terms. They crossed and recrossed each other's trails, and everything went along smoothly for the time being. The white tails impressed Mamut deeply. They were so dainty, so animated, and so rapid in their motions. He never tired of watching them. The speed they displayed was enough to take his breath away. It seemed incredible that animals could run so fast. There were raccoons and rabbits and woodchucks and many other interesting creatures too, but most of them were hopelessly unsociable, and try as he would, Mamut could never establish even the basis of a formal speaking acquaintance with them. Raccoons roamed abroad only at night when mastodons and most other animals were taking their rest, 
Rabbits were forever hopping away if one even looked at them, and woodchucks, being too fat and lazy to run, merely rolled into their burrows and disappeared. There were other little black beasts with white-striped bodies and bushy tails that neither ran away nor hid themselves when Mammut sought to establish friendly relations with them. They were his first experience with animals that rarely fought or fled, but had the most unhappy faculty of making themselves absolutely unbearable nuisances. To look at a skunk was a pleasure. So carefree and deliberate were his actions, but to really know him intimately was to smell him, particularly when he put himself in the best-smelling condition. Mammut's first attempt at making friends with a skunk was his last. The little waddling beast turned his perfumery loose, and the young mastodon almost collapsed. Never had his nose experienced such a frightful odor. It was the kind that could easily make room for itself in any crowd. It was too much for Mammut, so away he ran. That was not all. Some of the odor ran with him, and stayed with him. The herd, even his fond mother, noticed it, and for several days all shunned the young mastodon. He could not understand it. There he was, ready to be on friendly terms with any and everybody, and yet every animal he came in contact with spurned him. Even the red squirrel made sport of him as he sat high and safe upon an overhanging limb, delivering himself of many unkind and sarcastic remarks as Mammut passed beneath. It would seem that the young mastodon could expect nothing from any but the white tails, but even with them he failed, even after the skunk odor had left him. Whenever he came upon the fawns frisking about in the open spaces among the trees, there was a general stoppage of activity. None would frolic while he was present. None would play with him. The way all animals held aloof perplexed him. He could not understand, having yet to learn that creatures of one species never became intimate with those of another species. It was one of nature's rules. It was as though her voice had whispered from the clouds. Each to his kind, little mastodon, so far and no farther. Her word was final. The gap yawned wide, and so Mammut was compelled to play alone. This was the only cloud in the youngster's life. He was denied what all healthy children ever long for, playmates. The lack of them cast a shadow over what might otherwise have been an ideal existence. And now, with his sense of isolation, came an understanding of that which filled every mastodon mind. What had become of all the baby elephants? Were there any? He wanted one to play with so badly. He would ask his mother about it. She was a wonderful mother and would do anything he wanted if he but asked. But strange to say, Hasta could not help him find a baby mastodon to play with. She could not explain why. It seemed to Mammut a simple request, but his mother appeared much grieved at the mere suggestion. It pained her even to discuss the subject. It was with a heart almost too full for words that she confessed her inability to find her small son what he most wanted. Mamut must be patient and wait. She could not grant his wish just now, but the time might soon come when the herd would have another baby mastodon. Mamut was satisfied. The youngster's faith in his mother was supreme. He believed everything she told him. Yes, he would be patient and wait, and when another baby mastodon did come, he would have such fun with it. He began to experience a new sensation, hope, anticipated pleasure which was delightful, although tantalizing. Each morning he waddled about among the herd, inquiring of each and every animal if a baby mastodon had yet arrived. 
Gloomy were the headshakes. No, a little mastodon had not yet appeared. Would one come tomorrow? Perhaps. Nobody knew. And Mamut would finally go away, disappointed but ever hopeful of what the morrow might bring. Day after day he repeated this performance, but it was always perhaps and tomorrow until finally he gave up his questioning and turned his childish mind to matters of greater promise. Denied the companionship of other than his mastodon elders, he got to poking about by himself. He had learned much about animals, but his education was scarcely begun. There were many things that a youngster must know. His mother could not forever keep an eye on him, and at times he must look to his own welfare. One afternoon he strayed from the herd, farther than he had ever dared to venture. It was rather terrifying at first, this tramping alone through the woods, but it did not take him long to get used to it. The few animals he met with stepped aside and gave him a clear path. Such actions did not indicate a spirit of friendliness, but they showed that even a baby mastodon was worthy of respect. The realization of this gave him confidence in himself. He plodded briskly along, battering his way among the small saplings and through patches of thick underbrush, just as he had seen his elders do. Finally he rammed a young oak that was too big for him. Back he bounced like a rubber ball. That made him so angry he coiled his trunk about it and tried vainly to uproot it. He was not big and strong enough to do things like that just yet, but the fact that his spirit prompted him to try was a commendable sign. It showed that he was ambitious and eager to learn. On he trotted through the woods. Everything was new and entertaining. The trees with their gnarled limbs and occasional open spaces with green grass below and blue sky above. The big boulders scattered here and there, lying half buried in the ground. These and other things in endless number and variety confronted Mammut at every turn. A stream suddenly appeared before him. The young mastodon's journey through the woods had made him warm. The water looked cool and inviting. He slid down the bank and waded in. The sun shone brightly overhead. Mamut dipped his trunk in the water and sucked it full. He was about to raise it high above his head and treat himself to a shower bath like a real grown-up when he saw something that nearly took his breath away. There, directly under him, stood a baby mastodon. Rather, it lay upon its back, peering up at him from the stream's muddy bed. His tomorrow had arrived. Here was a playmate, a mastodon of his own age. Mamut squealed and danced with joy. The surface of the stream became ruffled and his newfound playmate disappeared. Where had he gone? The young mastodon hunted anxiously, but nothing was to be seen in the disturbed and muddy water. He waded out of it and searched the bank. As he moved along it, suddenly a low voice hissed angrily. Stand back, big beast, or I strike. You are coming too close with your heavy feet. Mamut looked at the muddy ground before him. There sat Sistra, the water moccasin. Her body was coiled, her head was raised, and her two long poison fangs were pointed threateningly at the small disturber. Mamut knew absolutely nothing about snakes, and yet a subdued voice within him warned that it was a thing best left alone. However, his curiosity got the better of him. He yielded to temptation and extended his trunk. Sistra's head and fangs shot forward. Mamut felt a sharp pain near the tip of his nose and was frightened almost to death. With a loud squeal, he jumped back just as the water moccasin recoiled herself and made ready for another strike. However, one was enough. 
the youngster was up the bank and away as fast as he could go. Mamut was terrified. He went flying through the woods, squealing for his mother and complaining loudly that he had been bitten by a big worm. Fortunately for him, his exploring trip to the stream, although a momentous affair in his young life, had not been a very extended one. He had strayed but a short distance. Hosta heard the squeals and hurried to the rescue. In a moment, the two were united. Mamut huddled close to his mother and shivered. His body was very cold, his legs felt shaky at the knees. A fit of dizziness made everything go round and round before his eyes, and meanwhile he moaned dismally. The queen mother was greatly distressed. Some dire calamity had befallen her young son. She could not imagine what it was. While she stood by, anxious to help but not knowing what to do, Mamut suddenly collapsed and fell sprawling to the ground. His nose began to swell. Hasta saw it growing larger. A mastodon's trunk was his tenderest and most vulnerable spot. Probably the youngster had poked his trunk into a nest of hornets and they had stung him for his pains. And yet, for a mere hornet sting, his condition appeared extremely alarming. Mamut now lay as one dead, unconscious and scarcely breathing. His body was as cold as ice. Hosta trumpeted frantically for help, and soon the herd were gathered about her. None understood the young invalid's strange malady. None could help him. In an agony of dread, Hosta kneeled over the small body and covered it with her own to keep it warm. This treatment helped, ever so little, but it was enough to keep Mamut's blood circulating and enabled him to hold on to the little life that remained. The sun went down. Night came and still Hosta crouched over her baby. There was no sleep for anyone. The mastodons, one and all, tramped about the mother and her stricken son, frequently voicing their uneasiness with shrill trumpetings. Mamut lay still and cold as death. The moon climbed slowly into the sky. Hosta yet crouched over the young mastodon and still no change. She almost despaired. It seemed as though the treasure which had been hers for so short a time would soon be lost forever. But Mamut yet breathed. His heart fluttered, and he clung to life, unconsciously battling against the deadly serpent venom which clogged his veins. It was past midnight when the queen mother, still crouching over him, hoping against hope, felt the tiny body beneath her quickening with restored circulation and returning warmth. Mamut's sides heaved. He groaned. He even tried to raise his head, but the effort was too much for him, and he gave it up. The tide had turned at last. Hosta almost smothered the young invalid, so great was her joy. But Mamut was feeling much better now and began to protest loudly at being so completely buried. Hosta arose, and Mamut tried to arise with her. This he could not do all by himself, but with his mother's help he finally managed to stagger to his feet. The herd rejoiced. It was nearly morning now, and the whole night had passed with scarcely a moment's relief from the profound anxiety all had felt. It had been a terrible strain watching the pride and joy of the herd, hoping for the best but fearing that he could not survive. Mamut was out of danger now, although he was still a very sick little elephant. His head ached as though it would burst, and he felt very weak and wobbly. He soon tired and was obliged to lie down again, but this time it was to secure a bit of refreshing sleep. The giant Burbo came forward and peered anxiously into the youngster's face. He stroked the small body with his trunk. Mamut merely rested. Burbo breathed a deep sigh of relief. 
he was turning away treading as softly as possible so as not to wake the sleeping infant when the leaves rustled the bushes parted and a slim figure emerged and stood facing him it was one of the deer people a buck the oldest and wisest of the white-tailed stags end of section 25 recording by trevor johnston